Hi everyone, this is the Physiology and Behaviour Show with me, Dan Quintana. I recently had a chat with Stu Murray, who is an assistant professor at University of California, San Francisco. We cover a few topics, including how to get the most out of Twitter as an academic, his strategy for revising manuscripts, and work-life balance. You can find Stu on Twitter at Dr. Stuart B. Murray, all one word. I think you're really going to love this episode, so enjoy. So, Stu, we've been chatting uh, a bit sort of uh, over over Slack um, about uh, about Twitter because you you've just you've just gotten started yourself, haven't you? Yes. Um, well, I've actually been on Twitter for a while, but the first two or three years I used it, I basically just used it to follow my favorite athletes. So <laughs> I knew exactly what Steph Curry was doing at any time of any day, but I didn't really use it professionally until recently. So I don't know if that counts as a newbie. I guess I'm a newbie. <laughs> And how, how have you found it sort of getting started when, when it comes to using it as an academic? Well, it's pretty steep learning curve, I think, and resources like you and, and James Heathers have been super helpful as well. I, I think I started out by falling into the, and I guess a lot of academics do this, but basically promoting my own work um, <laughs> and just put in, um, put in links or screen grabs of my own papers on there, which I found pretty sort of unidirectional. I very rarely got any responses from that other than maybe uh, James and you saying, what are you doing? Stop doing that. (laughs) (laughs) A totally fair call. Um, But more recently, I've been with scientists on that and finding it a really cool way to sort of make contacts and ask questions and and, and just, I guess, network with with other scientists interested in similar things, which is really cool. Yeah, like, do you, do you have any do you have any cool stories of 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 what's happened when it comes to to getting in contact with other academics over Twitter? Yeah, just just recently, someone emailed me from Belgium saying that they like my work and they're going to be in California in sort of two weeks later, and it just so happened that I was going to be in the same place at the same time. So we met, and this person has a scholarship to come and pursue a fellowship anywhere she wants in the state. So we ended up having this really cool conversation. Um, about potentially doing a postdoc here in the States with me, funded by the, the, the Belgian government, I guess, which would never have happened had she not found me on Twitter. Wow. So that was really cool. That's, uh, that's super cool. Yeah, it's, it's amazing the sort of opportunities you can get. Uh, I know I've been, uh, I've uh, maybe five, six publications now I've um, got as a result of, of Twitter. Uh, people just contact me um, mainly through my heart rate variability work, um, also through meta-analysis stuff as well. Uh, people just contact me, um, uh, just getting in touch, and uh, I've got in- invited onto uh, onto papers as as a result of the stuff I've been doing, which is uh, which has been really cool. And uh, you, you kind of hear these stories, and you think, nah, that that doesn't actually happen. So when it actually happens, it's like, oh, that that's actually quite nice. Yeah, I think that I think that you do a really good job of Dan is sharing the process of science as well, which is so. I mean, as a as a follower, I find that so validating and just so informative because I think we usually just see the finished product and we don't really know what goes into the pitfalls of science and reviewing and the review process and things. You do a great job of sort of just pulling the curtain back and letting folks see, and I think that's really normalizing and and it's also a great way of sort of demonstrating your expertise and getting around those hurdles, but. Um, I think I'm going to try and start doing more of that, uh, the tweeting about meta science and the process. Well, actually, um, a lot of that was inspired by this book I read uh, a few years ago. It's called uh, Show Your Work, 
uh, by this guy called Austin Cleon. Uh, I got reminded of it because it's literally sitting on my desk right now as uh, as we're talking. But um, this guy was speaking more in the context of uh, he's, he's a designer, a graphic designer, and he was speaking about how quite often with graphic design, you're, you're working on a project and uh, the, 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 these are things that you might release sort of two or three big pieces of work a year. And I thought, boy, that's exactly like academia. We only have these situations where you're actually releasing these things. And if that's the case, it might get to the situation where you are just doing um, screenshots of your own work and links to your own work, which is fine, I think. Um, but I think in between that, there's, there's, there's a lot of interest. And I think the actual process mm-hmm. behind the work that you're doing, uh, I, I kind of see it. Um, I, I read an analogy uh, a few years ago, and when it comes to, uh, there was basically this um, this uh, this company that was um, cutting up wood, and uh, basically a, a lumberyard, and um, they were uh, they weren't they weren't doing well um, financially. They were just breaking even, and then uh, someone came um, to sort of do do a financial audit of um, of their place, and they're like, that- "Oh, I notice there's a lot of sawdust there. What do you do with that?" And they're like, oh, we just we just chuck it. What else are we going to do with it? And they're like, oh, you know, there's actually a bit of a market for uh, for, for the sawdust. A lot of people actually are, are looking for it. They're like, really? So, as it turns out, they ended up selling the sawdust or basically the offcuts of the work they were doing. And as a result of that, uh, by not doing any any extra work or any extra work than they were already doing, they were making an absolute killing. And that's the way that I see it with a lot of the stuff that I do on social media. I'm not sort of going out of my way to go, oh... Let's talk about this. I'm basically just posting the sawdust of the work that I'm doing. So if I've discovered, if I had to write a new function to to do something within within R, for instance, I'm like, well, I've already done it. I may as well actually share it. I'm not kind of writing these things in the process of sharing it. I'm sharing it because I've already done it right. as a process of my work. That's a really cool story. I uh, I love the pun as well, by the way, about a <laughs> a lumberjack company just breaking even. <laughs> 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 But I think it works so well in our industry because we kind of the system kind of rewards perfectionism, right? And we always have to put our best foot forward. We always have to keep our professional game face on, and we really, we really don't talk about our failures or our mistakes or the other stuff that we don't use. And the systems evolved, especially over here in the states. And so I think it's really, really cool. And something I've enjoyed doing lots more of is talking about the, the process and the sort of the trials and tribulations and the brainstorming and the problem shooting. Those things are so much more valuable to me on Twitter than than seeing a screen grab of somebody else's work, which I've probably got in an RSS feed anyway, you know? Yeah. And it's just more but interesting. Yeah. Totally, totally. And it, I think it makes you, it's not surprising that that's bringing collaborations because it makes you more, you know, accessible. It makes you more human and it makes you more, um, you know, probably a better collaborator than someone who's just that pro- has that professional veneer all the time. Yeah. I remember one thing that really changed my perspective. Um, I was having a meeting with with one of my one of my mentors, and um, he's like, "Oh, l- l- let's go have a look at our um our the, the status of our of our papers." And he logged on, and um and I saw it actually had a um a, a history of the, the papers that he submitted to this uh, uh to this uh, publisher, and basically. He was he's he's got a ridiculous amount of citations. I think it's like thirty thousand or forty thousand citations. Like top top guy in his field, and uh, and basically I, I I could see that uh, the amount of paper acceptances he had was matched by the rejections. So all all this stuff you kind of look at him and you're like, man, this guy's successful. But you forget that even even the, the top people out there have almost as many rejections. But you don't hear about that. 
Yeah, and how disempowering to young folks coming through as well, folks finishing their postdoc or, or junior faculty to sort of to not know that that goes on, but that's totally the norm. Mm. The medium response in our field is is rejection, right? That's sorry, that's the modal response for sure. Um, and it's it's I think it's just really empowering for folks to know that that's that's the most common response you're going to get, and it's about keeping going and picking yourself up. Um, and share, I just think sharing that's so empowering to to the field. How, how do you deal with with rejection, paper rejections? Do you just sort of uh, brush it off, or what's what's your what's your strategy? Usually, I get pretty pissed off for about <laughs> a week or a, a few months, as you as you can attest to, Dan, on the paper yeah. that we. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that that was that was something else. Oh my goodness, yeah. But then I guess I I go through like the five stages of grief. <laughs> acceptance at some point and, and try and uh and try and see the sense in what the reviewers are saying i think that reviewers i like to think of reviewers as folks who are you know well-intentioned and trying to constructively better the paper um so i always try to see what they say and i always try and uh give it a couple of days too i i usually read it and then just hang out with my daughters and my family and and try and process it a little bit um, and then come back to it when that initial sort of sting has gone out of it. And then I'm fine. I'm in a better place then to sort of see the merit in what they say. Um, and then by the same token, I don't hit the submit button until I usually give myself a 24 hour period as well and read it cold okay. um, to make sure that it's not. Um, I think the worst thing that I want to do when I send a review, uh, a resubmission back is offend reviewers um, if I have to dispute any of their points. And so, I always try and sort of give myself a little bit of breathing space to reread what I've said, um, particularly in the response letter, and then I hit send. I know a few people, and then I usually compose a check. <laughs> Sorry, then, then I usually check the status of it for about, for about a month and see what's going on with it. Of course, you, you got to compulsively check these things. Actually, I work with these guys, and um, they, they told me um, uh, there is, I think, it's either a Chrome or a Firefox plugin where you you basically have a, a tab open and um, you can automatically get it to refresh for you, yeah? So, the tab's open in the background and then while it refreshes, if anything on the page changes status, it'll send you an email going, this page, this page has changed status. So, these guys, rather than actually obsessively checking their paper status, they run this thing and they know that it's running in the background and then as soon as something changes, boom, email. These guys, these guys are hardcore. That's awesome. That's like um, working with your OCD, right? That's yeah, OCD right there. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. They're enabling though, Dan. They're enablers. They are. They are. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you'd like to support the show, the best way you can do this is to share the show on social media. It would mean the world to me if you could post a link or even take a screenshot right now and post that on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever you're using. If you want to get in touch, the best way is over Twitter. My name is at DSQuintana and my DMs are also open. If you're on Instagram, I also post a few episodes as videos on Instagram TV. So, follow me at DSQuintana if you'd like to watch these. I'm also on Facebook if that's more your thing. Check out the show notes for all these links. Now, back to the show. Now, one thing um, uh, you mentioned to, to me a few weeks ago, which I thought was really interesting, was that uh, your strategy when it comes to to, res- to resubmission is to do it as quickly as possible 
because uh, in one sense that almost gives the that, that gives the impression to the reviewers and the editor going, "Hey, no sweat. These uh, uh, these uh, these revisions were nothing. These problems weren't even problems. Just a, just a small speed bump." Um, d- is that what you do with all your papers, or do, do you sort of prioritize that with certain papers? No, we try and do it with all the papers, and some senior colleagues here swear by that, and they're also um, on editorial boards or senior editors on journals, and they've always said that when they get a when they get a request to revise and resubmit their paper, they kind of drop whatever they're doing, and they have a forty-eight hour rule to turn it back around as quick as possible. Forty-eight hours. Forty-eight hours, and they want to do that for a couple of reasons. One is so it's fresh in the editor's mind, and it's fresh in the reviewer's mind. For one, um, so they can actually hopefully remember recently reading it and it helps contextualize the changes that you made. But secondarily and more importantly, they really want to send the message that this is no big deal. We can do this within 48 hours. This is really, um, and I think it also puts the pressure on the editors to respond quickly. And, and I've found that the quicker that I can send a revision back, the less likely it is to go back out to reviewers and it's more likely to end it with an editorial yes or no based on my response, which is actually what I want. When I send back reviews, I don't, I want to try and just land it with the editor and convince them that I've done a good enough job for them to feel confident and accepting it. And there's almost a linear the quicker I get it back to the editor, um, the less likely it is to go back out to external review. Wow. Oh, man. 48 hours. I, I, I was thinking it was more, more, more a week. But uh, is that a sort of thing that they literally get the whole lab to help out to, to, to get it done? Or they just literally drop everything and just work on this thing? Uh- you know, the whole lab, the whole lab usually drops everything. It's this big kerfuffle. It's a little bit disruptive in, in that sense, but it's also um, productive in it in that it doesn't drag on forever and then the lab can resume normal functioning two days later. And I think there's probably, it's more of a everybody drop everything when it's a higher impact paper or when, it, when it's a larger paper. Yeah. Um, but we 48 hour rule as best we can on, on all papers. But yeah, it does involve everybody sort of dropping what they're doing for a little bit. Oh, it, make, it makes complete sense, um, especially. And the one thing I didn't, didn't actually consider was this idea of having it fresh in the editor's mind, as well. Yeah, I think because I think that's 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 a really important part of it too. Um, we want to sort of we want to conversate about something that's contextually fresh in their mind, so that they can really understand what the changes we made were. Um, and I just think they're less likely to send it back out if they if they just saw this three days ago and they sent it and they have it back already. I think they're probably more inclined to make a decision then and there. I think. Look, as an as an associate editor myself, like if um if I got a paper back that quickly, that's the exact thing I would be thinking. I'd be like, okay, cool, wow, th- these obviously weren't uh, weren't big issues. They were able to address them straight away. <laughs> it's also making me think about this, this. I'm working on this one uh, this one really big paper uh, at a at a pretty decent journal as well, and it's taken us so long. To do these revisions, one because the actual um, e- even our our cluster at our at our work it, it's it's taking us about uh, a week just to process the jobs. <laughs> That's taken a while in itself, but um, the basic yeah, think- yeah yeah. So, but yeah, hopefully I can get I, it back soon. Well, I think anything that requires reanalysis is going to take a little bit longer for sure, um, and we we don't always hit our forty eight hour rule. We try as best as we can, and like I said, it seems to work pretty well. I'm just waiting on the day that I get a response from an editor saying, wow, you really need a hobby. If you can do this in 48 hours, <laughs> something I missed. <laughs> then then you know, you're doing something right. That hasn't come yet, so I'll stick to it. 
Now, speaking of uh, speaking of hobbies and, and free time, I-, I wanted to ask you about uh, how you go about doing uh, doing work life balance. You're uh, you're a dad to two daughters, and um, as as a as a new dad myself, that's it's something that I think about a lot. Um, so, how do you approach this? Yeah, it's difficult. Um, I was kind of bracing myself for the worst. So I have twins, uh, twin daughters that are now three. And when I remember when we when we started, I really tried to sort of my where I could. Um, we're caught in this bind between obviously having really important family values, but also wanting to to keep to keep our research going and answer the important questions we're trying to get at. Um, I remember my wife. Uh, my wife used to laugh at me. I used to read to our kids. This is when they were really small. Um, but I would read journals to them. I, I took the route that it doesn't really matter what my voice, and I say it in a baby-friendly tone. So I would I, re- I can remember many times reading about um, the prefrontal cortex. <laughs> slept yeah. in my I am going to go. She was pretty close to calling social services, I think, a couple of times. I don't know how close <laughs> I got, but <laughs> I, I think that's genius because I, I've actually heard that, um, it, especially at, at a young age, it doesn't really matter what you're necessarily reading. It's more just hearing the structure of language. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so that's what I did for the longest time. And then I think now, um, I actually really defend my, my family time vehemently and turn off my, my phone and my laptop and everything between six and sort of eight thirty when they go down. And then I typically go back on, but the one thing I've, that it's really taught me is how to be super focused, um, in the, in the time that I've got, cause I would often find myself, I was productive, but I was also like on Facebook a bunch and doing stuff that really was just, just asking about, asking around basically. But, but now I find myself more motivated, um, a more sort of, I guess, tougher on myself to be more motivated so I can have that time without worrying about, did I get stuff done today? And it's just really sort of an adulted kid time when I get home, which is, which is kind of what I need. So de- devices off every airplane mode for those, for those two hours between you get home and, and when your girls go down. Yeah. Every single day. Um, come, come rain or shine, that happens. And then I typically go back on and catch up at night afterwards for a little bit. But I, I've taken the route of waking up earlier and just streamlining what I do when I'm at my when I'm at my computer or when I'm in my lab. That's the biggest change. I thought that um, I thought my productivity would suffer, but it's I think it's actually become more efficient, in a, which is weird because I'm often super sleep deprived and just tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's reflected. I, I recently sent a paper out to review and I realized I missed up brain and wrote brain. <laughs> <in> the, <laughs> so, the, 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 the Brian is, is a complex. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I don't know why my spell check didn't catch it. I think it just capitalized Brian a couple of times. And I, <laughs> but and that's the sign of that. But I am um, at least in pushing out content. I'm, I'm pretty productive. I'm, I'm still pretty efficient, but the quality might be dipping a little bit. Evidently. <laughs> That's um that's actually really encouraging to hear because uh, I hear a lot of people go oh you know kiss kiss your productivity goodbye and in my head I'm like well if if it's if it's to the detriment of my uh, relationship with my daughter and my wife well you know I, I don't care if my productivity goes down but then it, it seems like you can actually have both and uh, I, I've kind of been noticing the same thing myself. Um, a good thing is my daughter goes through, um, at least when I'm w- working from home and um, helping out my wife, um, that she goes through 40-minute nap cycles. So, she might sort of nap for 40 minutes and then wake up for five minutes and fall back asleep or just wake up. But those 40 minutes is perfect because that is 
uh, the length of my Pomodoros where I just completely focus and completely work. But then I know that I've actually only got 40 minutes to go because as soon as like, and, and the good thing is my, my daughter is like com- completely to the clock when it comes to waking up in these cycles. So I can just work. There, there's no time for stuffing around because I know in 10 minutes, in five minutes, I'm going to have to get up and check the nappy and, and do all those kind of things. It's uh, it, it's amazing what, what, what it does to your focus. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And mine's extended to other parts of my life too. I know that I, um, when I run, for instance, I said, I'm just going to walk the last half mile. And like, I would convince myself that it's a cool down or whatever, but really I was just really tired. But now I, I, I think to myself, no, I can get back to my, I can get back and hang out with my daughters quicker. Or it, So it's pushing me to be, I think, more efficient in everything that I do to be with them. But um, the other thing I've started to do is to sort of blend the two. I remember um, recently I found a YouTube video, which is really cool, from Josh Gordon, who is the director of the NIMH, and he met, he modeled the human brain out of Play-Doh. So, of course, I tried to do that the next day with my kids, and now they know where the cerebellum is and stuff. Nice, <laughs> really nice. Funny. Well, you, but, um, you've, read, you've read to them journal articles since, that, since they've been uh, newborn, so, of course. <laughs> exactly. I don't know what kind of monsters I'm about to unleash on the science <laughs> but, um, but they do. They, they, they try and build Play-Doh brains with me as well, which they find really fun. But, but um, typically, they, they end up eating part of the brain, which I... <laughs> not, <laughs> it's just a, it's a lesion study. Through. <laughs> exactly exactly you should get them that, that cool um the the brain coloring book i'd love that have you seen those ones it's, it's basic, yeah it's, it's it's a way to um to, to learn brain anatomy and that that's how i learned uh during yeah. my neuro courses is it was that coloring book and uh the you, your daughters would love that yeah that's a really good idea and map like the networks and things like that within the brain and <laughs> yeah that would be really cool we could have coloring dates they would love that that'd be amazing uh, I, I can't wait till the, those days with my daughter, but uh, she's still got her time to go. Yeah, no, enjoy the enjoy these times. Um, it's it's a it's so cool. It's a cool journey. Yeah, yeah. But mate, I will uh, I'll let you go. And uh, it was uh, yeah, it was uh, cool to chat. Yeah, thanks so much. This is super fun to chat, and uh, and yeah, keep up keep up your great work on Twitter. I find so much value in what you're doing, and. Uh, And yeah, thanks for having me on, mate. No worries. That's all for today. Thanks for listening to Physiology and Behaviour. Make sure you subscribe to the show in your podcast app so you don't miss any future episodes. Bye for now.